Hi, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of The Hit Streak. Check it out. I got to give a big shout out to my show sponsor, my friends over at AVLX. I also have to give a big shout out to Charles Henry and Ace Young, the amazing performers and producers of the music behind the show, as well as the amazing people that make up the Hit Lab creative team who are the producers of the show. Folks, I have a favor to ask. If you like what you hear, and I know you do, click that subscribe button to make sure you get alerted when new episodes are dropped. Thanks for tuning in. The real success stories told by the people who live them. We're going to have some guests on this show that everybody knows, and we're going to have guests on this show that nobody knows yet. One by one, Nick Heider is adding hits to the hit streak. Blessings, folks. Welcome back to another episode of The Hit Streak. I'm your man, Nick Heider, and um, obviously this is our Christmas episode today, right? So we're filming our Christmas episode today. I've got an extra special treat for you in the house, in the building, in the studio uh, with me today. Somebody that I'm uh, proud to call not just a mentor, but a friend my man, pastor, senior pastor, Josh Heisman of the New Hope Community Church here in Nashville, Tennessee. Josh, thank you so much for being here, bub. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor. I've been watching and listening to the, the show, and so it's really cool to be here. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, this is, um, we mentioned Christmas a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just talking before we started uh, shooting about how much my family loves the Christmas holiday. Yeah. Um, it's everybody's it's prettier it's everybody's nicer i know well if you have sweaters like that and i've seen some of your other christmas clothes i mean man you're you're on point when it comes to christmas so there, there's no doubt about that well it's a point we don't know if it's a good point or <laughs> it's, not it's a point yeah, yeah there you go so um well dude thanks so much for um for for hanging with us today um i know we got a whole lot to get into and uh, and I'm really really excited. So like we do on every other episode, we got to take the folks back. We got to go back a little bit mm-hmm. to talk about how you got in the chair today, right? Yeah. Um so you're not from Nashville. No, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and whenever I say that people go so were you inner city like south side of like the big city of Chicago? So I I grew up in a town called South Holland, Thornton, but I say South Holland's about 20 minutes south of downtown Chicago, and uh, me, mom, dad, and I had uh, two other brothers who were with me. Awesome. And um, and obviously, so quick story, um, my, uh, they're family members now, but um, our old neighbors, they're not old people, they're our previous neighbors is what I should say. Uh-huh. I'm so sorry, Pete and Rita. <laughs> um, our, uh, our previous neighbors, who are family, um, introduced you to me because we have a common thread in the mm-hmm. fact of baseball. Yeah. And that's a huge thread in your family. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, one, one cool thing about my, my brothers and I, three of us growing up, we're all within three years of each other. So so every year in school, my older brother was just one year ahead of me. He's only 11 months older than I am. And then my youngest brother is two years younger than I am. So I, high school, for example, when my older brother was a senior, I was a junior, and my younger brother was a freshman. And my parents had this built-in uh, baseball practice facility at the house. When I say built-in, meaning our house was just kind of perfectly set up to where we could pitch to each other uh, against our garage. And uh, my older brother, I, I'm going to give him props, 
was just a phenomenal baseball player. So he would be pitching to us, and, and there was no other person, no other place that I could go to, uh, to have better competition one-on-one than in my own backyard. And so as we grew up together, we just kind of elevated each other and went on to play uh, at different levels. And, and uh, so it was really cool growing up in a, a baseball family. My dad was a professional basketball player. And uh, my dad's the shortest of, he has four other brothers. My dad's 6'4". His other, he had two brothers who were 6'10", two who were 6'7". So they were a basketball family. Wow. And then when we were born, we were the runts. I'm 6'2". My, my two brothers are 6'3", 6'2". And uh, I, I'm the shortest of all of them. I even have girl cousins who are taller than I am. <laughs> so, so anyway, we're like, why don't we not do the basketball thing? We'll play baseball. And, uh, and so that was a fun trip. So um, you played professionally. Okay, so here's the thing, because we've talked about this before. So yes. let me kind of clear it up for you. Okay? Right on. So my two brothers both played professionally. Now, okay. my younger brother, Justin, was a pitcher for the Kansas City Royals, mm-hmm. spent some time with the big league club. My older brother, Jason, was drafted by the Anaheim Angels. And he, I believe he made it to the 40-man roster until he had an injury that ended his career, shattered his wrist. Right. Um, but, and, and he was also, uh, we laugh because... He was a part of those Angels teams when they were winning the World Series with, I don't know if, I don't want to go down the names and all that, but he's like, man, if I could have got picked up by the Brewers or something at the time, I would have probably been on the big league club, right. you know? Probably so. Um, so when I was coming out of high school, uh, I was offered a contract by the Dodgers and had to make a decision if I was going to go ahead and do it. And I decided to turn down that contract. So that ultimately ended up where down some college roads where I went to play baseball for one semester at a, a junior college. Then I went to Mississippi where all three of us as brothers all went together and played on that team together. So when the time came for me to go on and play and keep going, I had already kind of turned the page in my mind and in my heart about not wanting to go that route. I don't know. I was not as good as either one of my brothers when it comes to, to playing. Uh, um, if you so, played at Ole Miss, you were pretty good. So, so I mean, some would say, but uh, but the, the like playing professionally and all that, like I was in all those uh, uh, wood bat uh, summer league things with all those guys who were drafted and went on and stuff, and probably could have made a run at it and everything. But I kind of moved on and, and went doing some ministry stuff. So, I don't. I didn't dream this. It was when they, during quarantine, mm-hmm. they were showing all these old uh, games. Like I was able to show my son, my favorite player of all time was Don Mattingly. Mm-hmm. And I was able to show him games where Don Mattingly played on the t- on television, right? Yeah, it was really right. cool. Did I see your last name three times in a lineup at an Ole Miss game, on an Ole Miss game? Yeah. So in, <laughs> in 1997, uh, so Jason was a senior, my older brother. I was a junior. And then Justin was a freshman. And it was not uncommon when we would play together in the lineup that they, we would bat three, four, five in the lineup. So, it's unbelievable. So you would see J.A. Heisman, J.O. Heisman, J.U. Heisman uh, together. And see, I'm a little biased. I, I think it was our best hitting lineup, you know. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and, and, and during quarantine, somebody went and found a game when we were playing Mississippi State. And uh, – and it was on YouTube. It's it's still on YouTube somewhere, you know. And it was just so cool to to see that. And and it's so funny. Just like everything, I know you know this, man. Especially when you're playing, 
you just take for granted that time. Like mm. you don't realize how special that is. And I know for me looking back, I didn't realize, hey, not everybody gets to play with all other brothers right there on the same SEC baseball team, mm. you know? Um, and so it was uh, such a cool moment uh, to go through. And, and, and here's what's funny, you know, we can kind of get into this down the road if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, that my, my time at Ole Miss, I spent two years there. Uh, on a baseball level, it, it should have been like the greatest moments, right? It should have been yeah. like awesome or whatever. And, and I was kind of miserable. Um, but yet, in my own life as, as a pastor, God really used that time to plant the seeds of things that were to come. Yeah, and so here's how I'd always say it: like when it comes to, uh, hey, I always wanted to be a professional baseball player. I always wanted to go on and and do more things. Um, and when I got to Ole Miss, I started to see, I think that's going to come to an end. And it saddened me. But what I didn't realize was that at the same time, God was planting seeds of things that I was going to do. That everything that I do in ministry today as a pastor has its roots in Mississippi. I'll be dang. And, awesome. and I had no idea that that was the case, but uh, it's kind of, it, it was the beginning of who I am now. Right. The, um, you, you know, everybody, whether it was college, even high school, or at the professional level that I played with, like when I was done, I was done. Yeah. You know, um, people ask me a lot if I regretted, because um, I stopped on my own terms, and I don't. It honestly was a pretty easy decision. We made so little money yeah. that when I finally made a little bit and I knew that I could actually like pay for my own stuff by myself, um, my dad will say, and my mom and dad would say, I still didn't, but I at least knew I could. <laughs> I had the right. opportunity to do that. Um, but uh, all of us, I would go back and do it one more time. One time. Yeah. One night. One at bat, maybe. One something. Yeah. But that's all. That's That's it. When you yeah. know, you know. I had the coolest experience a couple years ago. Um, uh, a guy who I met coaches uh, one of these 35 and older Nashville baseball teams, Wood Bat League. They're know. intense, man. And I can't, just because of, of what I do for a living, I can't go out and play all the time. I mean, and so I tell this guy, hey, if you're short guys and you need someone and you're desperate, call me and I'll, I'll pop out there. Right. So a couple years ago, I went out there and, and I, I, what you're just talking about, it's it's so fresh in my head that when you know, when I was done playing back in those days in the late nineties, whatever, I was by the time I was done, I was done. I was baked on the whole thing. I was like, Man, if I don't ever pick up a glove again, I'm fine. Yeah. And so this guy <laughs> called years later and here I am, I got my kids and whatever doing my job and whatever. And and he goes, Hey, can you play left field? I was like, Man, put me wherever you want. I don't I don't care. I'm standing out left field, I'm just like this. We're out at uh, it's it's Belmont Stadium and I'm like looking, I'm like this is amazing. <laughs> this is the greatest thing I've ever... Yeah. Like, like to be a kid again and to go, oh my gosh, this was like... I remember when this was so much fun, you know, and nothing was riding on it. It's just yeah. the grass and the ball and playing, so... We could honestly talk about what you're talking about right now the whole time. Yeah. Um, so let's touch on it just for a second since we're here. Like, um, that's a great example of, like... We all take stuff for granted. Mm-hmm. The moments in life, where we're at in lives. Like, I, I was listening to a guy speak in a, a thing yesterday, and I actually played it for Ethan's baseball team. And he was talking. Um, it I believe it was Kobe, and he was basically like the, the practices, the workouts, the, 
you know, going until you can't go anymore, until uh, you collapse, just going as hard as you can go. That's the dream, hmm. not the game. It's mm-hmm. that, that part, that process is the dream. And that's the part we always take yeah. Um, for granted, the coolest part about when we finally got to that place where we were flying everywhere um, in the minor leagues was I hated to fly. Like, I, like you know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. versus the alternative. Like, it was just, I don't know. I was never going to be satisfied or happy at that point in life, I don't think. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's always a healthy balance that can be played in everything that you do, right? And it's it's positive to to want to strive for more and to reach the highest levels that you can attain, right? Mm-hmm. But it's equally as positive to appreciate what you have and the moments that you're living oh. in, right? And so for me, when I look back at things, I, I, I have, I have far many t- too many times when I made the mistake of not uh, just looking around and going, thank you, Lord, for this. This is just awesome. And it took till later on in life when I realized, you know, I've, I've made enough stupid decisions of walking away from things because I was disgruntled mm-hmm. that maybe now when things aren't going so great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick it out because I appreciate what I, what I have in this situation. And it's so much sweeter when you do that and you, and you go, hey, um, man, look, look, at, look at these friendships I've been able to to cultivate, look at, look at this job I've been able to do. And now I have like some time that I've put into it and I, and I have roots there and now I can, you know, people who believe in me and, and I'm able to grow and flourish. Uh, and I'm able to be, be better because I didn't just always look ahead to what when there's something else out there that has to be better. So I know we're kind of going off the path, but, but for me in, in baseball, you know, when I was at Mississippi, Mm-hmm. Uh, my goal was always to, I want to play for the Chicago White Sox. Like yeah. that's where I wanted to be. Okay. And so, Hey, this Mississippi thing, this is just for a little bit of time. I want to be like out there. Well, I can still go after what you just said, like the, the practices and the working hard. I can still do all those things and, and want that and be happy where I'm at. Absolutely. You know? So, um, but I didn't know that, man, I was 17 years old, 18 years old. All the stuff the youth youths wasted on the young, um, you know, all the things that you hear your parents say, they're all so freaking true. <laughs> right, right. I, and I, I feel like I say that all the time to people, like when you, you tell them something that, hey, listen, I, I got no, no new wisdom here. This is just yeah. truth. You just don't want to hear it because yeah. we all know it. But yeah. you're right. The um, opportunity for me is a word that, I had to get to know and truly understand. Um, there's two words that are extremely powerful. The first one is hope, right? So um, without hope, like you hope you get the job, you hope you don't have cancer. You hope everybody hopes no matter what. Yeah. Um, but the other one is opportunity. And, and opportunity at the end of the day is everything that you want, you have to have an opportunity to have it or to get it right. So, and I was, um, without getting philosophical cause I'm not qualified to do that, but there's a video I play for the agents all the time. And it's actually Morgan Freeman in a television show. Don't know what it is, but he's basically saying, so when you ask God for, to be patient, does he make you patient or does he give you an opportunity to be patient? And what does an opportunity to be patient even look like? Mm-hmm. Not like a blessing. <laughs> That's right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, for me, when people gave me opportunities, um, like, you know, one of the things that kind of comes to mind is I've met a lot of people who 
who are like, yeah, hey, uh, I appreciate you giving me that opportunity, but but it's not exactly what I wanted it to be. So I'm just going to kind of hold off and wait for something else to come along, mm-hmm. right? When for me, I don't <laughs> hope this makes sense to to those listening. I realized what became more important, maybe not, was the opportunity itself, but the person who was giving me the opportunity. Ooh, or or oh. so like mm. it's like man, what I've learned is. If I find somebody who believes in me, that's worth more gold than what the opportunity is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so whenever I have that person who believes in me, then, then I have someone who I go, okay, they think I can do it. That means I can do it. So even if I don't think I can do it, I can do it. And then it, what I learned from that is since someone else believed in me and someone else brought opportunity in my path, it is uh, essential mm-hmm. that I give other people opportunities and that I become the person who pays that forward and encourages someone else and walks alongside them so that they believe in themselves because I believe in, uh, you know, it's kind of one mm. of those things where like uh, one, one good favor goes to another, all, all those kind of things. Um, but, but for me, that's what, what opportunity has done. So, or that's what it is at least. And that's that you can't, that's how you keep it going. Mm-hmm. Right. That's how you keep it going. And, um, the hard, one of the hardest things for people to learn to do. So first of all, every limit that people have, they gave themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So I, we always say here, push your limits because you're the one that set them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and that's that's what one of the hardest things to do, especially if you're maybe. Not, I mean, if you're honest, first of all, that's the first thing you do is you hold yourself accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, believing in yourself is difficult. Not everybody thinks they're the greatest thing that was ever put here. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, we all have doubt and all those things. And that's when somebody else can help you overcome that. That's magic, man. Yeah. Yeah. The, the biggest strides I know I've been able to make in my personal life is when someone else came along and said, you're capable of more than you know. Mm. Like for me, you know, we talk baseball and all those things, you know, from a young age, I was like, I'm going to be a baseball player and that's what I'm going to do. Mm. And then when it became apparent that, that that was going to end, then it was like, well, what can I do? Yeah. I mean, am I, am I good for anything? And then, and then, uh, as I started going down a path and, and and I would do something, someone would say, Hey man, you're pretty good at this, or you're pretty good. You should do that more or whatever. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I struggled with believing people in the early days. Like they would say, Hey, you're, you're kind of good. I'd go, really, you know, uh, I don't think, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Hey, I really enjoyed that talk you did. I, you sh- you should do more of that. And I was like, man, people are just trying to be nice. I really appreciate that. <laughs> you okay. Know? You know, I mean, it was like a struggle. And then it like hit me like, wait, why, why do I struggle with that? Like, if they believe that, if they believe in me that I'm able to do something, then why am I going to talk them out of it? Right. You know? Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Well... So we went back a little bit, and um, anytime I get going about baseball, I'm gonna go too far, right? So, can I tell you um, a funny baseball story? I would before, love before you that. Change the that would be fantastic. Bring it. So I get out of high school, and I thought in the draft, I thought the Dodgers were gonna draft me, and a scout named Glenn Van Proyen, and I can't remember the other guy. Anyway, I thought I thought they were. In fact, there was a couple teams I thought I was gonna get drafted. Well, I didn't get drafted. My other friend on the team, high school team, he gets drafted in like the, like the 52nd round. Left-handed pitcher, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, he weighed about 125 pounds. His name's Mark Mulder. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, 52nd round draft pick by the Detroit Tigers, whatever. Okay. So anyway, a couple days go by after the draft and I'm mad because I didn't get drafted. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like what? I thought I was going to get picked up and they didn't even show up. And I was, I was mad. So me and Mark and a couple other high school friends were playing on one of these summer travel teams that happen, you know, and, uh, my dad calls me, he goes, Hey, the, you know, these Dodgers guys are over here at the game. They want to talk to you and whatever. So, so I get to the game and they, they say, Hey Josh, we don't, we don't know what happened. We, we kind of see you. We thought you were going to, you know, we put your name in this round. I don't know what happened, but we messed up. They didn't pick you. We, you know, and so they offered me money. They go, here's the money. And, and in those days, sign free agent. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was a free agent offer. I would say the money, it wasn't cheap. Um, 30 grand and then playing for college and stuff like that. I mean, so that's fantastic. So, right. And so I go, I go to in the dugout and I say to my buddy, Mark, I say, Hey, the Dodgers just offered me this thing. He probably didn't even remember this because, okay. And he goes, did he, did he he have a good career at all? Yeah. He goes, well, you're not going to take that. Are you? Okay. And I was like, no. And the only reason I said no is because, because he asked me in that way. Right. Well, anyone who's listening, Mark would go on three years later. He was the number two overall pick in the draft behind Pat Burrell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, pitched here in Nashville pitched, for a little bit. He did. He, he was he was a big pitcher in Oakland. Mm-hmm. He was part of the big three, Tim ah, Hudson, Mulder, and Zito. That breaking ball was nasty. And uh, and so had a great career. Started two all-star games and all that kind of stuff. So he might be listening to this. And if he does, I'm going to send it to him. And I'm going to say, yeah, you talked me out of it. And you got to make all your money. Well, he's, then he's so, got to come on and tell his side of the story. There you go. <laughs> I'm trying to talk him to come out here and do a golf trip uh, later in 2022. So if he does, we'll see if we can ama- get him oh to come goodness. on here. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, that's a um, so that's a cool – I mean, first of all, anytime you get to play with somebody that has a career like that, that's cool. Those stories yeah. are amazing. That was the coolest part about um, playing in the minor leagues is the guys that I got to play with. Yeah. Like straight up. Um, mammoths of – human beings um yeah. just what the, the the physicality just the the blessings that were mm-hmm. cast upon them were just unbelievable you probably had this too you probably got spoiled like like we did because there, there was a whole lot of years uh, especially when we got done playing where you had friends who played on every team mm-hmm. like maybe who played at the pro level <laughs> and we got used to not paying for tickets yeah so then when when they all retired and they oh, were yeah. done i was like i'm not paying for tickets what are you talking yeah it was like i had to i had to get that out of my system the um I guess it was a couple of years ago, took Ethan to a minor league game, and I was like, well, this is the first time I'm older than everybody out here. This I've officially yeah. aged out. Yeah. And that was that, that did something to my – I'm pretty sure I went home and put in some Just for Men to cover up the gray <laughs> right after that game. That was the first – I think That's that was the good. first time. Um, all right, man. So you have a, um, a, an amazing family that's big. You have a big family, so you come from a family with multiple siblings, right? So, um, tell us tell us a little bit about um, about about your amazing wife and uh, and your kids now, because um, one of them is Ethan's age, and that was another way that we were connected. Yeah, um, as they went to school together. So, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, my wife Sarah and I uh, have been married for twenty one years. Um, we went to the same high school together, but we did not hang out in the same circles. She's a year younger than I am, so we met. Uh, officially met a year after my first year of college and a friend connected us and we started talking. And then, uh, in 2000, we got married, uh, and we kind of lived all over, uh, Kentucky back to Chicago and then ultimately in Nashville. 
We have four kids, two boys, uh, Tyler, who's 18, who's going off to college next year. That's unreal. I know, man, it is. And then Jordan, my uh, my second son, who is uh, going to be 16 in March. And then I have two girls, Mary Beth, who is Ethan's age, and then my youngest daughter, Alyssa, who's six years old. That's incredible. So you yeah. guys had, obviously, there's 11 years age difference between Ethan and his and his baby sister. Yeah. You guys um, had some, not as big a gap between two individuals, ones, but it, you've been parenting for a minute. Yeah, and... <laughs> And uh, pretty much by the time Alyssa gets married, she's going to be putting me in a, in a reti- retirement home, you know? <laughs> I don't know, man. It's it's the power of that Barry White album that we would put on, I guess. That, I guess um, so. <laughs> <laughs> we just didn't think through a lot of these things. Actually, how I explain it, you know, we had our three, and then my wife is the oldest of all of her cousins. She has a lot of girl girl cousins, and those girls and her sister, too, started getting married and... And having their own kids. And we already had our kids. Like, we were done. I was like, hey, we're off to other things, you know. And then she's like, actually, one more would be kind of awesome, you know. And it happened. So there you go. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's and, awesome. and I was, you know, uh, when I we did a baby dedication uh, for Alyssa at the church um, when she was one or two years old. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's an awesome person. And just so full of life, and that that kid, she's gonna she's gonna do some big things in this world. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting at the table before it was even a discussion. We had our three kids, and thinking somebody's missing. Really? Yeah. And and then it was weird. I was like, no, because I you know, we had my family, the amount of kids we had, and I kind of had that in my head. Five is a good number, you know. Yeah. And six kind of messes up things, especially if you're booking Disney World trips. So like that extra one, but it, it was always there. And That's so right. when she showed up, I was like, man, God has some big things for you. That's incredible. And mm-hmm. Disney does need to fix their number thing. That it's is terrible. A, that is a thing. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I hope. But we... it's tailor-made for the Hyder family. It Dude, is. The, the four, the four number, they they are right there for you guys. That's right. And the three wasn't good. So Ansley solved some problems for us, yeah. for us with that as well. Well, dude, um, your wife is... Um, you guys match really, really well. Like, mm. So first of all, you guys, um, to do all that you do, and then you balance with such, um, you balance it all with such grace and always a smile and all that stuff, it's extremely difficult. I, raising, we're still playing man-to-man defense. You guys are in a zone defense mm-hmm. at this point now, right? Yeah. Um, and have been for a while. But like, um, like what you do um, as a pastor at the church, you wear um, 14 skillion hats. <laughs> Yeah, um, as, as do most. As that's do most. right, and uh, that's just part of the job. And then bouncing all at home, and but your wife's incredibly involved. Um, yeah, at the church as well, and she's a um, what I would say is an I call I would call her an alpha female. Like she's she gets stuff done. She yeah. leads from the front, like all that kind of stuff. It's it's a lot of times you don't get two people like that in a in mm-hmm. a household. It's really neat to to see. Yeah, well, her. Has she always been like that? She she has always been like she's a very smart person. First yes. off, you know, and uh, but even more than that, her her character and her integrity is. Uh, I know she gets embarrassed when I say it, but like it's really second to none. It's one of those things that attracted me to her in the first place. Yeah, I've told this joke to the church before when when I said to my friend, "I want you to introduce me to her," he said, "Man, she's too she's." She's too much for you. You, don't, you guys like, and I go, man. She has the same morals that I do. She just lives them out. Oh, and uh, <laughs> he's like, what do you even mean by that? I was like, well, dude, she's just on it. Like, like here's Sarah. This is a wonderful quality. 
Like she gets her mind on something and she's going to do it and she's going to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you come along and say, no, you should do this. And she knows that she shouldn't do that. then she's not going to do that. She's going to do what she knows she needs to do. And, uh, so there's a trustworthiness in that too. Right. Sure. Like, like when I married her and you know, even when we were dating, like, here's the one thing I knew for sure. It was like, this woman will always have my back. Like mm. for real, like whatever we need to do. Like, I know she's not going nowhere. Okay. Like, like she's, she's in this because she has made this decision that she's, she's on it. And there is a, for us as a, as a couple, especially when ministry entered the picture, because it's not always, that's sun, right where sun, I'm going, sun, sunshine and roses and all that stuff. Um, that when things do hit the fan, like she's the one who's right there. It's like, nope, this is, we're together. We're doing this and we're, you yeah. know. And that has just proved to be so um, awesome. Well, it's um, one of my favorite things to see when we're um, there on Sunday mornings is um, I like watching her sing when we're yeah. singing praise hymns in the morning. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, that's one of my favorite things to do. I, I, I just totally just, now she's going to know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's something I just love watching because it just, it, it um, I don't know, it you know, certain things um, give you that, that warm feeling that like mm. you just you're right where you're supposed to be right then and there and that's what I get when I just, we just see her because Ethan and I we talk about it too when we're sitting there yeah um, and we do we like watching her sing the 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 praise hymns it's well cool. as a pastor uh, especially you know you talk about like a pastor's wife too what becomes so important in that is uh, that she loves Jesus just as much if not more than I do. And then because of that, she also loves the church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about New Hope, the church that pastor. I'm talking about the church, capital C. Right. So she loves the church. So she's in it to see Jesus glorified and to see the church uh, raised up as well, because the church is the bride of Christ. And so uh, when you see her there doing that, that's not because, hey, I'm the pastor's wife and I need to put on a show. I mean, that that's just kind of who she is, you know? Yes. And I think, I think uh, in... If she was inauthentic about it or whatever, that would come off too. It's just a genuine. That's what makes it so good is that it is so. There's no mistake in it mm-hmm. that it's authentic, mm-hmm. and it's it's people have a hard time expressing themselves. Yeah. Period. And for a guy that has struggled with that myself, gives me hope, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it truly does. So like. Um, I, I, I'm sure a lot of people are watching what she does. That's a, that's a big, um, a big burden to, well, it's not a burden, but it's a big thing to carry through your life mm-hmm. knowing that because you are front and center, um, in a, in a situation like that, but it's cool to watch. It yeah. really is. Well, cool. We absolutely love it. So, all right. So, um, how in the world, so you became a, um, the call to pastor began in the fall of 2003. You guys were in Kentucky. Yeah. Right. Expecting your first child. Mm-hmm. Great time for a career change. <laughs> exactly right. All right. Yeah. So how did like, how did that go? Because she had to be in on this. She had to be all in on this with you. Yeah. You know, we were living in Franklin, Kentucky, which is about two miles uh, from the border of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were living there because I had some cousins who lived there. And, you know, I was, I was trying to do some of this music thing. I, I was playing guitar and doing all that kind of stuff. And in the meanwhile, then... Also working some part-time jobs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And was really kind of feeling directionless in life. Like the thing that I was supposed to be doing maybe had not mm. come come out yet, you know? So we, we 
had been praying and going, what are we supposed to do? So I, I, I we went on this walk. We, our townhouse was on this little circular block. We're walking around the block just talking about it. And, and, and really the conversation just, just came around to, hey, whatever God has for us next, um, we just need to like really pray about it and see what that is. And, and uh, so we did. We prayed, God, open the door. What are we supposed to do? If it's this music thing, then we want it to be that. If it's if it's a job, we want it to be that. Uh, but we need to know what it is because we need some money. We're not doing mm-hmm. well. She had a teaching job that was coming to an end, and uh, we're just we're trying to figure out what the direction was. And so the next morning, we, the phone rings, and it's my mom. And my mom says, "You know, Josh, I know you're down there. She's up in the Chicago area mm-hmm. doing this music thing. Um, but our pastor." Uh, he wanted me to call you because we need a youth pastor. Now you don't have any education in this. You grew up in the church, but you yeah, don't have seminary. You, become... you, don't, you don't have seminary. You don't have any of this stuff. You're not qualified at all. You're not <laughs> right. on paper. Right. On paper. Right. But would you think about doing that? And I and I, I know she probably felt like you know she's being mom just because she wants her kid to come back and live by the house and whatever. And so I say, you know, let me think about, it. let me, maybe I can talk to the pastor, Pastor Pete. And, and uh, so we set up a phone call and, and he said, well, I know Sarah's pregnant, uh, but maybe what we could do, if you wanted to try it, we'll fly you up on a Sunday and you can like speak to the youth and see how you feel about it. Okay. And so I was like, ter- I was like, what? Like speak to the youth? Like, you mean like actually prepare like a, a talk or something? And so I remember I sat down, I had this notebook, and, and I, I started, I like opened the Bible, and I, I like look at his scripture, I was like, I guess I'll talk to them about this. And I start writing handwritten these notes, and I got like eight pages in, I'm like, okay, maybe I'll try and deliver at, this talk, you know, and see what happens. Look at that. And so, now, going back to Mississippi, I was a part of the FCA there. And I had been involved in like leading some worship stuff. That's where I started to learn how to play guitar and lead worship. Started to sing and do that. And every once in a while, they would ask us to go and give our testimony to events because they wanted the SEC athletes to come and yeah. share their testimony and stuff like that. So I had done that. And all of that was like leading to this moment. So I like kind of pulled back from that time. Like, okay, what did I do then? You know, And, and so I wrote this and went up there, flew up there, did the... The, the talk and uh, and it all kind of worked out. They said, "Hey, could fly up a couple more times." And then by the time we had uh, Tyler, Tyler was born. We moved up there and did youth ministry for three years on the south side of Chicago. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, but what's cool about that? You asked about the like the wife element in that. Yes. You know, for Sarah, we drove away from that townhome in Kentucky in tears. Mm-hmm. Like it was. Uh, it's hard to explain because we knew what we were doing was the right thing. Sure. But leaving, we really liked where we were. Yeah. So sometimes going in a direction that you need to go doesn't always feel like it's the best thing, even mm-hmm. though it's the best thing. And looking back on it... Um, Hold on, we got it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> looking back on it, um, like I want to go back... Because I can tell you at the time, you know, here I am, a new dad, uh, about to start this new thing, which I have no idea if I'm going to be good at. But man, if, if I could go back right now and go, hey, man, listen, you have no idea about the journey you're about to go on. Yeah. Like, this is it. This is what you're going to do. Um, but at the time, I thought, man, what am I doing? 
Like, yeah. this makes no sense at all. I'm giving up on my dreams or whatever. But I didn't realize that the real dream was about to happen. Oh, yes. And um, <laughs> like he's on fire. Yep. You're hitting for the cycle today, oh, okay. as Dale would say. Um, dude, like, so a mutual friend of ours, um, somebody who's done more for me in my life than he'll probably ever understand, he's uh, Roger, who relocated to California. Mm-hmm. Um, so he married... Rhiannon and I, and when we re- had rededicated our life to the church at the time, um, we he did the he pronounced us husband and wife, and I tell the story all the time. We got to the end of the and look that we got married. That was the the before we got married. It was a we went through some really tough dark times, mm-hmm. struggles, and um, it was mostly me. Uh, I had a lot of growing up to do, but um, we finally got to that place, and we got to you know how you they. And I'm pronouncing your husband and wife, and then you walk out the middle aisle and you leave the the pastor behind, right? Yeah. Somehow he beat us to the front door. Really? Still don't know how he did it. He's quick like All that. Right. Um, but he, he said, um, hey, congratulations, there's something that you need to know. And he basically said, like, look, the decisions you made, the best decisions you could have made in your life. However, there's a, a dark side to this that's not happy with the decision you made, and it's going to throw every hurdle it can in your way to make you second guess and go back. Yeah. Right, so it's not comfortable when you make that change. The opportunity is never comfortable yeah. in the beginning. Yeah, um, cool side story that goes along with what you just said, and I would say this is like a dark thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I was taking this youth pastor job, I, w- I, had, I had gotten a part-time job working for a bank up in uh, Bowling Green, <laughs> and I was a teller at the bank. Okay, and the vice president of the bank was a friend of mine. And he finds out I'm going to go take this youth ministry job. He calls me up and he says, hey, listen, we're going to open up a new branch. Mm-hmm. It's near your place. And he said, I know you have no background in banking and all that kind of stuff. He said, but I will figure out a way to make you like a manager. Because now the issue is this. There's another big bank in the area that's buying up all the banks. We're going to start building this new branch, but I don't know if we're going to sell out to them or not. There's a chance we might. He goes, but if we don't, that job is yours. You don't need to leave. Okay. Yep. So it was an opportunity. Yep. Right. Um, but it wasn't the right one. Yep. You know. You know. So there was the the door was there. So like I wouldn't say it's a dark side, but it was definitely where I do feel on a in a spiritual sense mm-hmm. that uh, there was going. Hey, there's option B because because God knew what option A what we were doing. God knew the plans that He had for us. So. You know, that apple looked really good, too. Oh, yeah, right, right. <laughs> it looked really good. Yeah. Um, well, that's, dude, that's cool. Um, it's, I was, how somebody chooses, that's um, what I believe is the ultimate form of leadership. We're going to talk a lot about leadership today. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that's the ultimate form of leadership, and it's the one with, I mean, so much unknown, especially from a, like you're raising family, a financial um, point. That's a really. You don't do that for the money, right? Mm-hmm. And it takes money to raise a family, and then you're struggled with the balance of to give my kids the best opportunities, which sometimes that requires finance and things like that. All the way down right. to what schools they go to, it's a it's a huge leap of faith. Yeah, but isn't anything that's worth it <laughs> a big a big leap of faith? Yeah, like, right. You know, I've listened to the hit streak a couple times and listened to your story and the things that you've shared too. And one of the things that I'll often tell our congregation is this: everybody wants a testimony; they just don't want to have to live through it. Oh, and hold on, that's it's one of those 
it's one of those deals. Like when I think about your story and what you've shared with you and Re and what you've gone through, uh, and in even to what you have today and the things going on, right? And there's so many people who would say, "Man, I, I want, I want what Nick Hyder has. He's got that podcast. He's got the businesses he's running. He's got all that great stuff." And and what Nick can turn around and say is, "Man, you 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 didn't want to go through what I went through." That's it. Okay. Um, I had to scratch and claw my way to get here, and I had to make a decision that that I was going to take some steps every day and mm-hmm. fight and fight and fight. Yeah. They just see the lights and we see the microphones and we see the all that. Um, the same thing goes uh, for me as well. Like where I, I sit now, yeah. um, these stories that I'm sharing uh, involve a lot of tears. Absolutely. You know, they involve a whole lot of, of things of, of what you just talked about with the and family. A lot, of, a lot of time too. Yes, a lot of time. Do I want to raise my family in a somewhat of a public eye? Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhat of a... Oh my gosh, totally a public guy. Right. Absolutely. And, and to go through these things and, and, to, and to really being a pastor is, is to be a shepherd, to be a servant to people. Uh, do I have enough? Mm. Can I give of myself enough? Well, will I embarrass God? Yeah. Will I... Uh, all these th- things that make no sense, Yeah. but in our human flesh, yeah. those are the things we, we tell ourselves. Um. The, the hurt and the pain that can sometimes come with leadership too, all of those things, it's part of a testimony. Uh, and, and so when, when people look up and they see someone talk on a stage or they, they see us talking on microphones, this is the glamorous side yeah. of things. Uh, the testimony side of things is when we shut these lights off. Sure. When, we, um, when we're living life uh, in those hard moments. You know? Yes. Um, but... Anything worth having, right? The cliche. Uh, anything worth having is is worth. You have to fight and get through through some stuff. That's what makes it worth it, right? That's right. Is the, the that's what Kobe meant with the dream. That's the dream. Yeah. Is the moment you the game's over and you're on the winning side and you got what you set out to do. That's what made it all worth it, right? Yeah. Um, all the struggle and the sweat. I heard De- um, Deion Sanders was talking to his team before they went out and played. Um, in their bowl game last week, and he said, "I looked at you guys hired me months ago, and it's as like today. It's all about finishing what we started. We're not done, and you got to finish today." And he went on to talk about how um, when I grew up, we couldn't even get up from the dinner table dinner table until we'd finished what we started. You know, <laughs> if you started a team, there was no quitting in the middle of the season. That yeah. just wasn't something you did. You had to finish what you started. Right. Um, and um, that's what we see. The hardest thing for business owners, young entrepreneurs, just like in anybody in any uh, in the walks of faith or anything, there's gonna be struggles along the way. That those are the opportunities that we mentioned before for you to achieve whatever it is that you're trying to do, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and I wouldn't appreciate what I have if I hadn't struggled. There wouldn't be uh, uh, light without dark. There wouldn't be good without evil. Yeah. Wouldn't be an iPhone without an Android. You know what I'm saying? You got to have another side. Yeah, right. To truly appreciate it. One of the things that was coming to mind when you said that, um, I was reading this morning uh, a John Maxwell book called uh, "I Love John Maxwell. Developing the Leader Within You 2.0. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a revised version of, of an original book he did, and he's talking about mistakes in there. And he said most people are afraid to start anything new because they're they know they're going to make mistakes, so they'd rather not start because they know mistakes are coming. But what most people don't realize is everybody, period, makes mistakes. But the people who excel are the people who learn from those mistakes. Yep. And they don't make that mistake again. 
Yeah. So you the, you can't stop the first one. Yeah. But you can stop the second one, right? And you can grow and and you can develop and all that. So like that was just something that kind of came to mind when you were absolutely, dude. That. Until you until you walk on water, expect mistakes to happen, right? And, right. And um, like literally, there's when you have the the update on your device, the the point two, the point three. That's because they're fixing mistakes from yeah. the first generation, right? And imagine if they never got the first generation out. Yeah. We'd still they're still perfecting it. We'd yeah. still be waiting on it. And that's one of the biggest leadership lessons i think that i've learned from the beginning i i remember when when i first was going to become a senior pastor and and uh, i i went off and did this little retreat by myself to kind of write up some things and i wanted to like pray and really plan out hey here's how everything's gonna go so that i don't make any mistakes right and i had no idea that i was about to make like one mistake after another, after another. Like, I really thought leadership was once you become the leader, you can't admit any mistakes and you can't make any mistakes. Yeah. And what I've le- learned in the years since then is people care much more about how you handle the mistakes because you're going to make them. Like, how, how do you mm. respond when you do make the mistake? Holy cow. Hold on. We just had an epiphany have an epiphany right here. I had one anyway. So I'm going to be selfish and think through it for a second. So say that again. Say that again. How you handle the mistakes, right? Right. So everybody thinks that if I'm a leader, I can't make mistakes. But you can't stop mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. You're As a business owner, mm-hmm. you're not going to be perfect. As a pastor, as a leader, I'm not going to be perfect. So what people actually are paying attention to is when you do make the mistake, how do you respond? How do you handle that? Mm. And so that, for me, in the in the early years... I, I didn't understand. I really didn't. I thought, oh, I, I made made a mistake. Or someone would say, hey, you made a mistake. I, no, I didn't. Yeah. No, I, you know. But when you actually humble yourself and you go, wait a minute, there's probably some truth in that. I think I might have dropped the ball a little bit on this. Mm-hmm. Can you help me with that? Yeah. Now, when I go to that person with that approach, that person then will come back and go, man, I'll, I'll go through a wall for you because mm-hmm. you're, you're not afraid to admit Yes. When, when maybe you took a misstep or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah. So I've gained many more friendships, many more accountability partners, coaches, all that, friends, mentors from that kind of stuff. Leadership is, um, I ask everybody that comes through our offices, are you, is leadership for you? And a lot of people say no. And I'm, but my first, the first question I respond with is, is like, has anybody ever like gone and got a drink because you said you liked it? Like you led them mm-hmm. there. You led. You were a leadership is for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's for everybody. Um, but like, what is lead? So let's, I like to define things, right? I like to make sure everybody's on the same page. So like, what is, how do you define like leadership? Yeah. Oh, I go with the John Maxwell quote, man. Leadership mm-hmm. is influence. There you go. Uh, Anybody, in fact, I'm, I'm not a believer when someone says, I'm not a leader. And I'm also, I go with the Maxwell who, who teaches this, and, and is uh, there's no such thing as a born leader. There are people who are born with tendencies and gifts that can lend them to leadership, but leadership is something that can be learned. It's like a destination almost. It is, right? When I became the youth pastor at New Hope, where I'm the senior pastor now, the senior pastor at the time, his name's Paul Bain, I said, Pastor Paul, you don't have to worry about me being a senior pastor. I'll never be one. <laughs> okay? And he goes, okay, well, whatever. Well, here we are 
yep. 15 and a half years later, and I've been the senior pastor there for seven and a half years. Mm-hmm. What changed? Right. Was I natural born? No, I mean, I already told you when I, when I first took over the role, I made many mistakes. Yeah. I can tell you right now, there's going to be more mistakes down the road. Um, does that mean I'm not a good leader? Does it mean, it, it just means, man, leadership is something you can learn. It, it, what I, what I, I guess the main thing I learned about it is, is the way I can learn better is to surround myself with good people. Dude. Okay. And to, oh. to, to learn from what they're doing. And then like, even being here, sitting here with you, uh, one of the best things I can do if I want to become a better leader and learn more is to be around other leaders and see what they're doing. I mean, all of that stuff plays into it. So when someone says to me, and this goes, this is probably my sports background, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. They, someone says to me, I can't do something. It drives me insane. Yes. Thank you. And like in what I have in my pastor world, and this this will surprise you, I get this all the time. I'll say, do you read your Bible? Well, I don't read. Why? Well, I just never did. Why? Can you? Yeah, I mean, I can. I just don't. Right. Well, we're going to start. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, most people know the things that they need to do yeah. to get on the right path and to start doing the right things, to start creating opportunities for themselves, to start to become a leader, to whatever it may be. But it's way easier to just say, I can't. Yeah. Oh, quitting is the easiest thing in the world to do. Right. <laughs> I just can't do it. You know? So, anyway. Dude. Um, well, you... So, selfishly, I got something out of this. Folks, you guys pay attention here because um, as a parent, a business owner, an athlete, a person, everything, when you look at the greatest of anything... All of those people handle their mistakes better. Mm. They all have that in common. I've never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, I got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my wife's like, uh huh. Yes, he does. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I mean, at the at the very simplest level, for a pastor, for example, um, when someone comes to you with a question, right, like a spiritual question. Mm-hmm. Could be a question about the Bible, whatever it may be. In the early days, this is again, this is a simple example. Someone would say, "Hey, I want to ask you about such and such," and in my mind, I have no idea. I don't know the answer, right? Yeah. But I'm the pastor. I should know the answer, so I'm making something up. Okay, <laughs> okay, because I'm not letting you know that I have no idea what you're talking about, right? All right. But if, as the pastor, I say, you know what? And I don't know. That's a good question. I'm going to look that up. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. And I'm going to get back to you when I find the answer. Yep. What did I just teach that person? They go, oh my goodness. He doesn't know everything. That's right. That means there's hope for me. Yes. Because I don't know everything. But if he puts himself up on a pedestal and acts like he's the end-all, be-all, and he's got the answer to everything in life, then what, what, hope, what chance do I have at anything in this world? That's right. But if he, as a leader, is willing to admit, I don't have every answer, then that shows me I can, I can get there. I can do it, right? So that's just like one example of like learning. Man, it's okay to admit. It's okay to like come out and say, hey, you know what? I made a mistake, or I don't know, whatever it may be. And those things that you don't think 
preach to people are the things that preach the most. Dude, you got to write a book on these two things, how to handle mistakes and seeking knowledge, because that's how you learn to handle mistakes is through mm-hmm. seeking knowledge. You don't know everything. Nobody does. Um, Elon Musk learned something new today. I guarantee it. He's going to learn a better way to make a rocket or whatever it is that he's doing to change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to learn something today. Yeah. He seeks the knowledge. Right. Well, you know, here you have this new podcast, for example, and you're, you've been out here. You've got several episodes that are going out. It's going to grow. It's going to turn into something, right? And Absolutely. there's going to come a time when you're going to look back on it in your first season. Yes. And you go, man, look at all those mistakes we were making in that first season. Yep. All right? But right now, you don't feel like you're making any mistakes. Yes. So my point is, it's okay to admit, man, I don't know. Like, what if you started the show and from the first episode, you're like, everything's perfect. We ain't changing anything. Because we ain't making any mistakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it doesn't, that doesn't work. Michael J. Fox would have never played in Back to the Future if they had done that. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> Whenever you get a Back to the Future reference, I'm on board. That's right. Well, you gave us one in church the other day, so I, <laughs> I had to bring one today. I, I had an opportunity. There you go. <laughs> I'll always do that in messages of people in the church who laugh at it. So now, if you haven't picked up on it already, I'll always give people... Something that's either like 80s or 90s stuff that that only about 10% of the room will get. and uh, But it's little nuggets for, that's right. for, the, for that crowd. They are nuggets, man. Well, so you've done um, the, two, the two biggest things um, that uh, we were, I knew we were going to spend time on today um, were leadership, and obviously it's our Christmas episodes. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. But like um, leadership is for everybody. You are a certified coach on the John Maxwell team, which in the circles that I run, that's a big deal. Mm. That's a very big deal. So um, let's talk a little bit about what that, um, what that program um, has, what it is and what it's, and kind of what it's done for you because you were already leading. Like when did you, when did you go through that program? So uh, I, I was finally certified last August. So it's uh, new. So just new, right. I started it uh, at the beginning of 2021. So okay. this year. And, you know, I had done seminary, I have a master's of theology, uh, and I knew that I love just sitting down with people and working with people and, and helping them, whether it's one-on-one coaching or counseling or whatever it may be. I want to help people get to, if they want to go to a new level, I want to help them get there. Because mm-hmm. I have found, and I hope this doesn't sound selfish, but when I do that and help other people, it, like, it does just as much for me yeah. as it does for them. So I started looking into, do I go back and get another master's? Do I do continuing education? And uh, I reached out to some people who I sit down with every month who help me with leadership advisors and coaches and stuff. Talked to them about it. And I found this John Maxwell program, which basically puts... It's phenomenal. It puts you in place where you're reading his material, mm-hmm. but they also direct you to other things. You have, you have coaching and videos and things that you learn. And then you come to this process where you, you get certified, you know, uh, to help other people, which basically the certification is basically means they trust in you now to the point you've gone through their system and you can say, he basically shakes your hand and says, Hey, you're on the team and you can tell people that, that we're, we're friends. That's right. You know, so, um, how much of that I've used, I've, I, I have not gone out and done much one-on-one coaching or any of those kind of things. I have. Not yet. Other pastors and ministers and people who I meet with and share with them. It's definitely on my radar to do. Uh, but if I were to go back mm-hmm. and, and 
say, why did I do that? Like what that training and what it did was more beneficial for me and the, the church that I lead and the leadership and all that. Yeah. Uh, than I ever thought possible. With the right, um, I see the future of that. Um, and I'm a little bit biased because of, uh, I love what, uh, my buddy Brad, um, created with Lightspeed VT virtual training. Yeah. Um, I think that there's you and probably a handful of other guys will be able to touch a lot of people by utilizing those things as it becomes more and more common, like, Mm. um, because it lives forever and people can, um, like they can, they can seek it. They can go through the program at their own, uh, like if they work two jobs, they could do it instead of sleeping at night or they're not missing it because they couldn't be in a physical location, I guess. Right. So they can get through stuff like that. Yeah. Well, and you know, when I was, in my early days doing school, elementary, middle school, high school, and all, my, I was not a very good student. I, my grades were real low, and it even created a problem for me going on and playing college baseball because I had like a lot of work I had to do to bring those grades up. When I was at New Hope and I was doing youth ministry, and they, they said to me, hey, we kind of see this path for you to become a senior pastor, but we'd like you to go and get more education. Mm-hmm. I had said, I will never go back mm-hmm. to school. Like I have no interest in that. But a crazy thing happened when I went and did my master's and realized and saw right away that the things, when I'm in something and I'm passionate about it, like grades aren't even a thing. Right. Like that's not an issue anymore. Like for me. So, so I wasn't uh, magna cum laude or whatever. I, I was, I was 0.1 percentage points away from that in my master's degree. Uh, and then when I did this John Maxwell stuff and you have these books you're reading, whatever, I mean, just eat that stuff up because you're passionate about it Yeah. and your care. Like, you, you know what a difference it makes when you, when you know that tomorrow, the thing you learn today is going to be utilized tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and you know, I need to know this because yeah, it's going to happen. Absolutely. That's what the, the leadership stuff did for me. Like right away, I'm reading things going, Oh my goodness. Like, I got staff meeting tomorrow. We're going to utilize this here. Absolutely. And I got, I got to meet with this person this weekend and we can pull this in, you know? So it, it just, and so for anyone else who wants to even learn that stuff, if, if that's where your heart is and you have a passion to do it, man, you can Absolutely. devour it. Yes. The, um, John Maxwell is leading the charge. Uh, yeah. he's, he's definitely one of the best. Uh, well, it, 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 we can go into this too, if you want. It, it's one of the things like that I started learning right away. was this. When you start reading someone else's materials and looking at those things, what you understand quickly is their materials are coming from other sources too. So they're writing things and they're saying, I was reading in this book, this, this, and this, and this quote. Well, when I was young, I would read a book and I would go through that chapter and go, okay, well, that's, that's kind of neat. But now what I do is when someone says, like John Maxwell, or if you were to write a book, mm-hmm. I was reading... Uh, this book, the, the Power of Habit by Charles Duguid, I think is his name. Uh, and he says this. Okay, well, I read that quote. I go, well, that's a good quote. Well, no, no, no. I wrote down that book because mm-hmm. now I'm reading that book. Mm-hmm. If you are reading that book, then I'm reading that book. Yep. Like you've mentioned a couple book uh, when, when you and I have talked a couple times about what is it, how to get rich. Uh, thinking, so Think and Grow Rich. Think and Grow Rich. The Strangest Secret. Right. Um, those are two of my... Well, they were just my first... like. It's like the first time you ever saw a feature film or the first song you ever heard. Those are the first two right. like books that I read by choice. <laughs> right, right. Um, that I was just like, dang, I've been missing out. Right, so you've mentioned that book 
on a couple of occasions already on this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody might be listening to this podcast and going, well, what am I going to get out of this? Well, you just gave somebody a nugget of gold. Mm-hmm. If Nick Heider read it, then maybe I should go get it. It's a great foundation to build something for right. sure. I need to at least go get it and see, does that work? Is that, is that going to apply for me? Um, you know, the, the, those are things for me that I learned out of that leadership process, you okay. know? Uh, and, and so if I want to develop myself as a leader, then I'm going to gather as much wisdom and knowledge as I can from every leader I possibly can. Mm-hmm. Mm. Always learning, always learning. So, um, besides from the congregation, friends and family and stuff like that. So, um, there's a, there's a movement. I don't know if people understand the movement about leadership that's happening because of guys like John mm-hmm. and who are doing, who are doing what they're doing. But like, I guess maybe just because knowledge is more accessible now, um, than it was, mm-hmm. but like, and I could be way off with this. Maybe I'm just running around with uh, a, a group of people that it's just it's it's relevant with. But like, this is something that a lot of people are starting to to wake up and understand that they need to to at least learn about it. Or like, because again, everybody's a leader of some degree. Especially if you're if you're if you have children, holy cow, you are a leader, man. Yeah. Um. You know. So, what would you? Let's see. Well, I had a couple questions here. Um, what are some, what are some things that set you apart, um, that, that made other people see leadership, leadership potential in you, do you think? I know the, the senior pastor who was kind of essential in, in promoting me into the role I'm in now, Paul Bain, one of the things he always said was a respect factor respect and, and loyalty so that when he was in leadership, uh, the way I kind of did things was just to have his back mm-hmm. to do the things that I could to make him look good, uh, and, and kind of be there for him so that if, if, uh, something went well, the way I talked about him in public, the way I supported him, the way, uh, that if he needed an idea or he needed kind of something that needed to take place that I was there, the one who was going to do it, uh, because I was on his staff at the mm. church and his hire. And and those things naturally lended themselves to uh, making him look better. Now, he wasn't asking for that, but at the same time... It's unbelievably it was, important. It was there for him. Um, and then other things... From would, a parental d- dynamic, it's the same thing. Yeah. And the other things that, that I, I would say would uh, would be when you're in leadership... There's always going to be someone who disagrees with you. Absolutely. Always. Disagrees with the decision, disagrees with something you said, or whatever it may be. And especially in pastoral leadership, there can there can be people who who will go to a church staff member and say, Hey, so how about that senior pastor? What are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. You know? And trying to feel you out for are you on his team or not, you know? Uh, and I don't think there there was never a doubt that I was on his team. Mm-hmm. I was going to support him and encourage him. So but where I learned that stuff goes back to my sports background. Absolutely. Boom. Yeah. Um, and so my, my dad was adamant about those things. My, greatest life lessons there are. It, it, it really is. Uh, and I know some people don't like to keep hearing that kind of stuff, but but it's... Try I, it. I can't change truth. Yeah. Try know? it. So. so Simon Sinek says, 
you um, and I, I get quite, I get I get that huh look when I say it all the time. You can't be a great leader until you've been a great follower first, mm. right? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, go back to the apostles. Were they not followers first? Yeah, before they were sent out to go lead. Yeah, um, the um, you you don't move up by moving somebody else down. You elevate the person above you, and that creates your spot. Yeah. Right, that's how you do it. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it, and that is in the corporate world. That is lost, man. Um, in a lot of places, not everywhere, but in a lot of places. Um, well, how much of a difference does it make? And and I've seen this time and again. You know, as the senior pastor of a church, we have a facility, a facility in in uh, Brentwood, Tennessee. It's beautiful too, by the way. And uh, we have people who come to the church. And you have a senior pastor and you have church leaders and you have a church staff and, and some of us are on payroll and all those kind of things, right? And so we have a job and we, we get we get paid for it. And that's how that's how we take care of and provide for our families and things mm-hmm. like that, right? So do I do ministry for that reason alone? One of the the question you asked is what set me Apart, and I think looking back on it now, now that I'm the one who sits in this chair and I have a staff who works for me, and and I go out and I, in fact, I had lunch with uh, Pastor Paul just the other day. We try to go out pretty routinely. I think what he saw in me was this: this guy doesn't just do this because it's a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Like he actually does care about these people. Like he treats this facility and these this place and these missions and the things that we do here. Yeah. As though it's his personal responsibility to make make sure that these things are taken care of as well. Um, so it's like when someone comes into your home, right? Yeah. And they treat it with respect, and they treat it as though like, hey, it's important to you, so it's important to me. Mm-hmm. But when someone comes into you know uh, a place of business, or someone comes into the church, and and they're Hey, I, I just just pay me every other week and whatever I get my money, I'll be here as long as I have to be here and not any longer than I don't have to be here. Yes. Then you pick up on that right away. Yes. But when you see that someone's like, "Hey, no, I'm going to put my own interests aside and and I want to work for the good." Yeah. That's being done here. I mean, I think that stuff speaks volumes. Well, gosh. To with the education you have, um the amount of time you put into it, like if you do what you're doing, at the church in for a business, then the 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 comma in your paycheck would move. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you don't do it for the money. Yeah. Um at all. And that's that's gotta be a challenge, man. Think about that, folks. Um his family, his wife, his kids, they understand they've they watched you go through the the continuing education, the 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 all those things. They know what you can do. They know your qualifications. Mm-hmm. They support. Like that's not easy to do, man. That's, yeah, that's incredibly hard, actually. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, not all success is based on f- the finance part. Although yeah. I have learned growing up in the middle class, I heard a lot of things like. We can't afford that, and there was just a lot of mo- limits. That almost money was almost a villain to a certain degree. Yeah, and um, it took me a while to realize that a good person with money can be better. Mm-hmm. They can do more things. Bless you. Excuse they can me. they can do more things. Like I don't know, money's not the bad thing. No, um, not at all. And and uh, and you got to have it. 
Oh, for sure. Right. Everybody has that. And and I would encourage people in, in, in that, you know, if, if you have a gift and there's something you want to pursue and whatever, maybe, yeah, I'm not trying to talk anybody out of, out of that by, by any stretch, you know, um, I will say for me, one of the things that became, that has become real to me over the past couple of years is what do I want to be as a pastor? What do I want to do? Like, mm. what are the things that matter to me? Like, like, mm. and as I sit here and be confessional, now these things can change, but I'll just tell you, like, it, it, it's not important to me to pastor a mega church. Right. It's not important for me to be known all around the world as pastor so-and-so who's on TV or who's on a, like, those things are cool, but that's not important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and over the years at New Hope, which we're just a mid-sized congregation, uh, who, who were a church filled with awesome people. And the relationships I've formed with, with some of these people, I just, I just love them mm-hmm. and love being a part of their lives and doing those things. Yeah. And I can, I'm in a place where I can write books, yes. which I'm going to be doing. I, I can preach to, to people in God's word, which I feel called to do. Um, and anything God wants to do from that is totally great. You've released music. I'm releasing music. In fact, I have a new thing I'm, I'm going to be coming out with at the end of January, beginning of February, which, according, you know, every musician says this is my best work. Heck yeah, <laughs> dude. That's right. Yeah. But like that was, um, this could, that could be a whole other podcast in and of itself. Okay. Because when I became a senior pastor, um, I, I thought to myself, well, that music side of me has to die. And it took me a, a little while. In fact, it took some other people who came into my life and said, why? Right. Like, why? And, uh, mm. and, and I said, well, just because it just doesn't feel right. I mean, I'm not a very good worship songwriter. I just write songs for, you know, myself. And they're like, so do that. Mm-hmm. But I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to write worship songs. Who said that? And I'm like all these like pre things in my head. And I went, so like, there's some stuff that happened a few years ago that I just started writing some songs and, and how I felt in and, uh, that that's the project. It's a five song deal that's going to come out end of January, beginning of February, that is just like a real project, you know, and I don't care what it does. Sure. It's, it's just like something I want to give birth to and put it out there. And I think people are actually going to enjoy it. So the, um, well, all right, hold on a minute. So, cause I think we kind of touched on my, my next question a little bit, um, which was what are some personal barriers you've had to overcome? You literally just kind of talked a little bit about that. That was a personal barrier right? Um, that you overcame when it comes to, um, we're talking about leadership, right? So mm-hmm. um, what are some other personal barriers that you've overcome? Because like, these are the things that every single, nobody's the exception here. Yeah. Nobody. So I think one of the main things that stops people from doing the things that they're gifted to do is a fear of what other people think. So, mm-hmm. so it, for me, like if it's music or if it's writing a book, I mean, even if you go down to what being a pastor is, where, where every week uh, God has blessed me to be able to stand up in front of a group of people and to share what God's Word says. Mm-hmm. It's basically something that I have read, studied on, and then now I'm sharing what I believe God wants me to say to His people. Yep. Okay. Well, a lot of people are afraid of public speaking. Now, add public speaking where there's an element of people who are going, better make sure you say the right things. Yeah. Okay? So um, a lot of times when, when, when fear enters the equation, most people will just go, I'd rather not feel that. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So rewind back to, for me, the music, for me, when I said writing books or things like that. Um, once you put something out there publicly, it's open to criticism. Yes. Okay. So even as a, uh, a pastor, I started thinking about it. I feel like I'm supposed to write some books. I feel like uh, not because I want to make money off, but just because I feel like, hey, God's yeah. given me this this ministry. Um, That's on my bucket and, list, too. And there's just some things I feel like I can share. You mentioned about writing a book about some of the things we've already been talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, what good is it if you don't put these things out there That's for, right. for people to, to learn based on things you've learned from? But once you put that in writing, I mean, it's in writing. That's right. I mean, and just go to Amazon reviews, man. Yeah. I mean, some of my favorite books that I absolutely love, I like. I went to Amazon and looked up some of the reviews and clicked on the one stars. Uh-huh. And man, there's some people who had, as much as I love the book, they're like, man, they ripped it up. Yeah. And so what it shows you that is no matter what, yeah, you will always have a critic. So should that stop you? Or instead of playing to the critic, why not focus on all the people who are going to be helped by what you're going to do? There is a... Um, I held back on a lot of things for a long time for that exact same reason. And I was told... Um, so I, they looked at some of the, you know, people... Biggest movie of the century has bad reviews. As a matter of fact, if you're not, if you don't have haters, you're not touching enough people. There you go. You know what I mean? So like, um, and there's a, well, I have a post on TikTok right now um, that if you just, most people only comment the bad things. They don't leave the good notes, right? So it's like Yelp. Um, It's Mm -hmm. like Yelp. But there's a, a video on TikTok where, if you don't look at the positive engagement, you'd think I'm just getting ripped apart on there. <laughs> um, I mean, there's some crazy stuff on there, right? And and obviously, it's um, some of those. I'm like, well, that's an interesting point of view, but like that stuff doesn't. It used to bother me yeah. a lot, and now that lets me know that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, we're doing the right things. You got to have that stuff, right? And uh, mm, criticism. He, that's good. When I was. In grade school, I already talked a little bit about it. I wasn't a very good student, and uh, you're going to laugh at this. I actually had a teacher one time who, she would seat us in the classroom based on what our grades were. Oh, no. I mean, you talk about something you wouldn't be able to do today. No! Okay? So she would do that, and and, uh, and she didn't like me. <laughs> and and it was a parent-teacher conference, and she called my mom in, and, and I never forgot. My mom came home, and my mom was so upset. And she's like, that teacher said to me, get used to Josh being below average because that's what he is. I mean, this is a teacher, yeah. right? And uh, that always stuck in my head. Well, honest ain't well, always correct. Huh? Honest ain't always correct. <laughs> right. You know, so so for me, uh, I carried that with me. So if if everybody expects below average from me, then I'll give them that. Like, that's not a problem. I can give you below average. That's fine. So I went into high school and I gave everybody below average. I became the class clown. I was like, hey, man, if you all want to be entertained, I can give you a show. So Marty was the class clown. Oh, there you go, right? <laughs> my, my middle name. There yeah. you go. Um, and so that became my identity. I, I was the class clown who was kind of a, a stupid kid, who whatever, you know. Yeah. But behind the scenes, my mom would be like, you're not stupid. And I know you're not trying. Mm-hmm. Now here's here's some truth. I'll just be honest with you. It's like when, once we got into like algebra and geometry and all that stuff, you that stuff 
for me was for the birds because I was, excuse me, I hit the microphone because I'm, I'm like a creative mind for yeah. me. For me, the answer was like, not just, this is the answer for me. It was like, how do we get there? There's multiple ways we can come oh, up yeah. with a story to get there, you know? Yeah. And uh, that's how my mind worked. So I, I was a history major, but, um, uh, so I took on this identity that like, I'm the guy who, who school doesn't work. Not a very smart guy, not whatever, you know, is he even going to go to college? Whatever. In fact, I remember my first book I wanted to write was called, when I graduated college was, if I can do it, anybody can. Yeah. Um, so I carried this stuff with me for the longest time. And then, and then as I got into ministry, um, and strangely enough, when I got down to like New Hope, and I started to have these people who would go, man, you know, you could you're good at this and you're good at this and you can, you can do this. And like, it's, it's amazing what happens when, when people believe in you. Yes. You start believing Mm. and, and, uh, it became like a balm for my soul, (laughs) you know, not to like make it sound too extreme, but, um, it, it really started like sending me down that path. So like, even when the church said, Hey, you can go back and get your master's. Like for a guy like me, it was like, wait, Josh, Heisman, a master's degree. And I was even with my, my high school buddies a couple of years ago, we were on a golf trip in Arizona and they were all laughing about my high school stories. Cause they're, they're pretty, there's a long list of some pretty <laughs> ridiculous stories. And, and they all said, man, Josh, your grades were, they were so bad. I go, isn't it funny guys that I'm the only one here with a master's degree. Oh, <laughs> and so, and they laugh, you know, cause we're, we're all close as can be and, and love each other. But, um, but that stuff, man, like what I didn't realize is I was still carrying that teacher's line though. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. Now fast forward to this John Maxwell stuff. So we're sitting in this, uh, certification conference, right. And there's a session where, uh, uh, Valerie Burton, who's one of the the main coaches, and, and she does a lot of the teaching and stuff there. I think that's her last name, Burton. She I know you're talking about she's a, she's a she's a beast, man. She's, she's awesome, amazing. Yeah. So she does this live coaching session where they bring this guy up who's just like one of us. If she could have brought me up there, and, and he, she does a live coaching thing for 15 minutes, and she turns around and she gets done, and she's like, "Okay, now whoever's sitting next to you, you're their coach. Coach them now." And we're like on the spot, like, what are we, what are we supposed to do? So, so I'm, I'm sitting next to one of my guys from my church. Okay. For a, for a pastor now to sit next to a church member and the church member is going to coach me. Mm-hmm. And he starts asking me some questions. That's cool. And he's like, so what do you want to do with your life? I said, well, I'm a pastor of a church, but what do you want to accomplish? And the whole idea is like, you, you ask questions, you let that's what you let that person talk. Cause if you tell them what it is, then they're not going to do it. Like they have to be the ones. Mm. And so, um, what do you want to do? Well, I want to, I feel like I'm supposed to write books. Why aren't you writing books? Because I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? Because they're going to be below average. Why do you think that? Where does that come from? Mm-hmm. Well, because my mom went to a parent-teacher conference <laughs> one time, and the teacher said, always get used to being below average, because that's what Josh is always going to be. And if I put out below average stuff, then that's just going to go ahead and feed all of that the stuff that people think that I'm just a below average person. 
Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to put up a show and pretend like you're not. It's another thing to actually put it in writing and show everybody that you are. Okay. So, Ooh. so it was like fear. Mm. So then it was like, then I said it and I went, there's no reason why I shouldn't be writing books. That's right. So the only person who's stopping me from doing this is me. That limit, you gave it to yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. And once I realized that the reason why I wasn't doing it was because of something that happened so long ago that should not have any power over me anymore. That's right. Okay. Now, when I, I'm, I'm in the process of writing the first, Somebody's the first book. Somebody's right. opinion. Somebody's opinion. Now I'm in the process of writing that first book. And when I have that feeling that pops up, I identify it. I know exactly what it is. And I know it's a lie. Boom. Whereas before, I would just let it happen mm-hmm. and go... Well, I guess I shouldn't do this. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Okay. So, oh my gosh. So for me, then it became a. It became a okay. So I'm going to write a book. So now, what do I need to do? All right. Well, if I'm going to write a book and I'm going to write several books, then what I need to do is become a learner, and I need to read. Need to read more books. I need to get in the practice of this and the practice of writing. So anyway, then I put processes in place for me to be able to write it. That's literally how you start anything, folks. Business, like say, that's how you start a business. That's how you start a relationship. You start a lot of things, and it start. And you got to have process. You have to have process. Yeah, and to tell you how like deep seated it was, we have a, a lady in our church. Her name is Martha Bolton. Martha is awesome, mm-hmm. and she has written eighty-seven published books. She's written multiple plays that have been performed in Branson, Missouri. Blew me away. Uh, she, she, <laughs> I was going to say Sheboygan. I can't. Chipshuana is another place where they do plays and stuff all the time. And uh, she was also a head comedy writer for Bob Hope for many years. She just put out the definitive uh, book that Bob Hope's family commissioned her to write on the letters that Bob Hope received wow. from um, from soldiers. Wow. You know, all the war stories from Bob Hope, right? It's called Dear Bob. You can get it on Amazon. Anyway, she would come to me. She's like, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. We'll, we'll make it happen. Well, I'll even help you with it, whatever. Here I have somebody mm. who has all the connections in the world, and I'm, I'm letting fear right. stop me right. from doing it, right? How, like, that's everybody. Mm-hmm. That's everybody. First of all, you get excited about something, and you're really motivated to do it. And then usually um, there's a place where they... Um, the motivation and the and the commitment collide somewhere, and mm-hmm. um, very rare, or not the motivation, the, the convenience and the commitment collide somewhere, and that's usually when the convenience wins because there's the motivation's gone, and all you're left with is commitment at that point in time, right? So everything's it's just like a relationship when you first you first start dating, it's the most exciting and all that stuff, and then and and the longer you go, the the more um, I guess the more work is required. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And that's when most people quit. Right. Everything Mm -hmm. is when things get difficult. Right. But, you know, one of the things I... (laughs) Difficulty is necessary, right? Thank you. Like, if if it's easy all the time, like, that's the cliched line, then it's not worth it. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to pay somebody just to show up, I would be paying my Yorkie, my son, heck, my eight-month-old daughter, too. Mm -hmm. I'd pay her to show up. Why would I pay anybody else just to show up? It's what you bring when you get here. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing uh, even for me when I'm preparing messages and, and things of that nature. Like, I've, I've learned myself enough to know when I might be phoning it in yeah. and making things too easy or comfortable as opposed to making things a little little tougher. And I'll give you an example. We recently did this 
at the church, we were doing a, a series on Philippians, and I had done three or four messages in a row, and we got to a scripture where it was talking about um, uh, Paul's situation that he had in, in jail, and I had written this message, and things were done, all the different things that were in there, um, but I, I stepped away from it for a couple days, and I realized I'm kind of getting too comfortable with this, like, and when I say comfortable, meaning uh, I'm not really challenging people. I'm not, I'm not really giving them something that, that they might walk away from it and have it be memorable, whatever it may be. So we, <laughs> we, we wrote this little uh, parody song from the, the Who, talking about my yeah. generation, and we changed that to talking about my situation and, and made that where biblical to be talking about Paul's situation where he was in prison. Um, the the reason why I kind of did that it's it's not to take attention off of God's word or anything like that it actually speaks to what was going on in there but um, I put that in there because it, it added an element of fear for me yeah <laughs> it added a, a moment of going are you really gonna do this are you really gonna have this band like kick into this song in the middle of like how dare you do that and be irreverent and and whatever it may be um, but it was something that needed to be done yep you know and. Uh, so we did it and it wasn't easy. It required a couple of practices and it required some stuff like that. And, and it also required, to be honest, an element right before the service. I always would think to myself, am I really going to do this? Like, mm-hmm. are we really going to do this? And, uh, you have like that weird <laughs> butterfly feeling going on inside of you. And what I've learned is like over the years, like that's necessary. Yes. Like the, the memorable things are the things that are not comfortable but the things that are difficult, mm-hmm. and 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 that's when people come back and they go, "Hey, that lesson I learned on Philippians, learning about Paul's situation, and you guys did that song, and what you know, uh, that's when it, it makes sense." And you go, "See, if I if I was just comfortable and got got happy in my routine and didn't challenge myself and make things difficult, that wouldn't have been mm. memorable." Mm. Well, it was cool. Um, it was very cool. I saw it firsthand. <laughs> I was there. I was there, baby. Um, all right. So before we uh, move away from, um, is there anything else as far as leadership goes? Because we're talking. I mean, Christmas. We're talking about some leadership. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about some leadership. A born leader, right? So, um, is there anything else on uh, that we want to uh, talk to the folks about leadership before we get into some Christmas? Um, I, you know. I don't know. I, I think to, to me, uh, leadership has been some of the most rewarding stuff mm-hmm. and, and some of the most challenging stuff, you know? And um, I know when I first got into it, I kind of got into this mantra of saying, man, this island of leadership, like I'm all, you know, by myself and yep. nobody knows what it feels like. And And then I realized through being around other people and reading and, and, and doing my best to learn, I created the island. Like, like you, you mentioned something earlier that you said, uh, man, leadership is kind of like the new rage and the whole thing. And like, I would just kind of push back and go like, is it, or is it just that we like to be around leaders and we want to glean and learn off of other people? You may be right. And you're surrounding yourself with people who, who can share wisdom and advice and all those things. Cause, cause, cause there are plenty of people who have no interest. Sure. You know, so keep doing what you're doing, man. <laughs> <laughs> I will. We're definitely, we're definitely, we're just getting started. Mm-hmm. Um, no, you may, you may be, 
totally right that um, you know a lot of people would pr- probably prefer a hand out, a handout than a hand up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that way. The um, I'm fortunate enough that um, my my family, um, the stuff that our child, the the people that are helping us in raising our children, um, our families, church families, friends, and all that stuff. And we're always seeking new. And if I think about it, there's people that are no longer in my life because they were not fit for the journey. That doesn't mean we're not still friends and stuff. I just, that's not where the time is best spent today. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, you're probably, you may, you may be right. And, and, um, as a, somebody that wants to embrace that role, um, I guess it's going to be a little bit easier path than if there's not as many of us fighting for the same thing, is there? Right, right. (laughs) You know, and when you're, and I have several uh, people in my life who I just, when it comes to leadership and it comes to learning, like I just love to be around them. And then when I meet someone else who shares that passion, like I always think, hey, I want to introduce you to these these people, you know, because you're like-minded people and like we're all in this together. and, and, And so we need to like, expand that, you know? And so, um, so I think that's why it feels like that. Yep. Hunter Bledsoe uses this analogy for, he talks about this with leadership, but he talks, he told our kids this, um, our, our baseball team. And I loved it. Um, and there's actually, uh, some products based around this slogan. They call it, um, end of the storm. Right. So he said, um, but bison spend less time in a storm than cattle. Cattle walk away from the storm bison walk straight at it mm-hmm. and they walk through it while the cattle are walking with it and they spend more time in the storm than if they just took it head on huh and i freaking love that yeah it's interesting it is isn't it so what did you learn from that nick i learned that uh face face what it is that's in front of you face the obstacles in front of you head on take them head on don't um don't allow them to you just don't you don't walk with them yeah take them on you know who you're supposed to be or you might be trying to figure that out but like whatever conclusion you come to be that yeah be the best version of it that you can and um again everybody's a leader somebody's in like every mom out there every kid my son is somebody tried something uh an ice cream flavor they never had before because somebody said it was good everybody's a leader just embrace the stinking roll yeah right and, you know, when you talk about storms and you talk like that example and things, um, one leadership lesson that I learned when it comes through, through for this stuff is that uh, when you lead something, it's not a matter of if a crisis will happen. It's just when. Mm-hmm. And so, so something could be coming, uh, an issue could be coming up or whatever it may be. Uh, but to use your example, so when those things happen, as a leader, you have a choice. Either I deal with this now or I keep punting it down the road and I carry it. Mm-hmm. And the longer you carry a weight because of your unwillingness to deal with something, mm-hmm. the bigger that storm is going to get. Yep. Whereas if you just fight through that fear of not wanting to confront a situation or a crisis or head on in the storm, uh, if you, if you meet it head on, right. Yeah. Then you're not going to have to carry that weight for such a long amount of time, and it, it right. might not blow up into something. So, like for me, for example, I, I've had many times where I knew that there was something that needed to be addressed, and that other person maybe did not know that we needed to address it, but it was really upsetting me. 
and it was not help, helpful to the organization, and I needed to take care of it. But in the meanwhile, I wasn't. So it was just getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Uh, in my early days, that worse would get to the point where then it would not only affect me and that person, it would have far-reaching effects. That's right. Whereas if you deal with things head-on, right, and early on in a process, you can avoid all of those things, mm. right? So, yes. so uh, <laughs> I guess another way to say it uh, would be this. As a leader, if I'm unwilling to deal with something, then I'm the one who's saying, I'm just going to let it hurt me, and I'm going to carry it every night. I'm going to lose sleep over it. I'm going to be the one who's upset about it. I'm going to do whatever it may be. And the reason I'm going to feel that way is because I refuse to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. But if you just step out and have simple conversations, truthful conversations, and you walk, I'm using your bison example, and you walk into the storm head on, you spend less time in the storm because of your willingness to meet it head on. That's right. That's it. But I'm 44 years old. I, I was 37 when I became a senior pastor. 44-year-old Josh would tell that to 37-year-old Josh because Absolutely. I had no clue. Right. I, I thought, man, if I just keep the peace and I just don't say anything and it's it'll all work out, it'll take care of itself, and they, they don't take care of themselves. That's right. So They do not. So... It is our favorite time of year here. <laughs> That's it's right. It's our favorite time of year. Um, I have, my wife is uh, blessed me with some amazing Christmas sweaters, including the one I'm wearing today. We're big Disney fans too, right? Mm-hmm. So um, mix, mixing up both, I'm wearing a Santa hat. I don't know if you can see it because the, maybe in the back, but it's there. Dude, I'm, we're all in on, we love Christmas. We go, it's the bigger, the better. It's yeah. a, it's a lifestyle. So when I think of Christmas now, I'll think of you as well. Please. There you go. Please. Well, no, it's, I'm not even relevant at that point. In time. <laughs> However, um, it's so cool. I told you this before. It's so cool. Um, most people hear about Christmas from um, um, the 147 million Lifetime movies they made with 10 sets and four actors. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um, or um, what they get. At church, right? So I, I thought this was just really cool. I may be the only one. I doubt it that, um, like, I get to hear a little bit about the story of Christmas, um, just to just to talk about it with, um, with with off out of the pulpit. Yeah, not in the pulpit, right? So, um, where could we go with Christmas? Where could we go with Christmas? I know I could I could seriously spend all day just talking about it. Like we love it, right? So mm-hmm. um Christmas is a big day. Yeah. For us believers. Right. It's a big day for us believers. Yeah. You know, and it's it's when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and uh and what that means for the world and those who believe in Jesus Christ, right? That's those right. Who call up on his name. Yes. Which uh, the answer of what that means is it means everything. There you go. Right? I mean, you don't get Easter without Christmas. That's right. The <laughs> so, Super Bowl and opening day, baby. <laughs> there, there you go, you know? Um, and I know one of the things I've been preaching on this this Christmas season uh, is do we truly understand the gift of Jesus and who Jesus is and that, that he even came in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we used a scripture in Philippians that uh, talked about that, you know, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he gave up uh, 
his place in heaven and came down into in the form of a, a child, right? And, and and was born in this flesh, this dirty yes. usness, right? The greatest story ever. R- right? And uh and if you think for a moment that you want to take that for granted, just ask yourself, would you do it? And the answer is pretty Ooh. no, you wouldn't. Right? So Well the um we love it for all the reasons you just listed it's mm-hmm. people are the everything's decorated it's nice and pretty and mm-hmm. people are friendly um they're in better moods it seems like during and where we live it's like the darkest and gloomiest time of year <laughs> uh-huh. um it's just a it's just a wonder it's just a magical season mm-hmm. um and um and again it's it's the birth of um of our lord and savior and and the start of the greatest story ever told mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and um but it's um what are some things that um, I know I, I can still remember? Um, there was there was a movement a couple of years ago about that. So my mom and in the eighties that didn't mean anything. You just ran out of room to write stuff. You would write Mary Xmas or Xmas uh-huh. ornaments. So like then then there was a movement. I don't know five six years maybe ten years ago where they were like put the Christ back in Christmas yeah and stuff like that. Um, I don't know what this is just, it's cool. I don't even, honestly, I'm, I don't even know what to ask. Like, um, it's, we're an amazing time of year. New Hope's doing some great things. I'd like to talk about that with what you guys got going on. Um, because even if the, all of our listeners, um, and people that are tuning in that aren't in Nashville, they can still get it right. They can still get it. But like, um, there's all these things that happen around this season. There's musicals, there's cantatas, there's events, there's Uh gifts, there's family, there's all this stuff. All from well, the if story. you think about it, like to me, some things that come to mind as you talk, you know, we even even if you look at the songs that are like non non Christian songs, whatever, like you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Like why, like why is it the most mm. wonderful time of the year? I mean, we all have this connection to this feeling we get around Christmas, right? Yeah. So I believe that God created everybody and everything. Absolutely. You know, and that God created everybody with that as what we refer to as this God shaped hole in each of us that only God can fill. Yeah. So man and woman all have this desire that even if they don't know what it is, I can tell you what it is because the Bible tells us what it is. It's for God to fill that fill that space that's in there. Yeah. So Christmas is a time when we sing, it's the most wonderful time because it is, because that's as close as some will get to realizing, hey, that's God filling that space that, that needs yeah. to be in there. So even someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, or, or who says, oh, we don't celebrate Christmas, still gets into somewhat of that feeling and still has those moments because they're connecting to the God who created them, whether they realize it or not. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're calling on God's name and, and accepting Jesus as Savior or any of that, but but there's a, a part of them in their heart that's longing for it. Absolutely. There's um, the, the stories, the lessons that you get um, out of the Bible are... I'm I'm amazed at how many lessons are learned, yet they're like people talk about them like they're not they're different, right? Mm-hmm. So like some people like you hear the greatest minds say, "Get up at 4 a.m. early, you meditate, you clear your thoughts, all that kind of stuff." You know what we call we just call it prayer. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like it's uh-huh. the same thing. Um, and um, we're that like the things that you're asked to do, the habits that you're asked to create, are all the same things that no matter what you believe are in line with the people that are the best at those things. Like it's amazing how yeah people just are oblivious to that, I think. Yeah. 
Right. And, and Christmas is a time when we're talking about Jesus here, right? So mm-hmm. Jesus becomes the ultimate example of how, uh, how to live. But I read an interesting, I read an interesting quote from Tim Keller who said, you know, if you, if you pursue Jesus trying to be just like him, it'll crush you, mm-hmm. right? But if you pursue what Jesus stood for and who, who, uh, who he is, I'm, I'm totally butchering this quote. Yeah. Then you begin to understand his grace and who he is, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, when we look at the Christmas story, and even when I said, would you do it, and whatever, like, there's, a, there's an element of going, no, you wouldn't, but, but go easy on yourself. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're not the Savior, okay? Yeah. He is. And, uh, and Christmas is just that time when I, I think we just tune into that more, you know? And That's pe- it. People put the lights out, they, 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 the decorations or whatever, even the, pe- even the people who don't, whatever it is, there's just that feeling in the air that... Uh, things are closer to what they should be, which is what Jesus is, who Jesus is. It's funny, when now that I think about it, since we did just welcome a new human being onto this earth, um, the feeling that that brings and that you have at home, that feels a lot like Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? So you gave me what I was asking for. That was it. You just That was exactly what we were looking for. That was the cool thing that you get not from the congregation or the pulpit. That was it. Like yeah. that was really, that was really neat, man. You hit the nail on the head with that. that was what, what part of that do you think resonates with you? That it's this, um, the, the, the season just kind of brings it, it, it brings people together. It brings people into the element yeah. of, of, of all that stuff. There's a, I was trying to figure out how to say it's, it's the music, it's the spirit. People are nice for all those things. I was saying the same thing, just yeah. not, just I didn't know how to actually define it yeah. as well as I could. There's a reason that I love it so much. That's why. Yeah. That we you know, and it. I was with uh, this week. Um, I have two kids who had their their Christmas concerts for school. You know, and all the different bands are playing the songs and doing the things, and they're playing Christmas songs and whatever it may be. But like, what makes a Christmas song? Like, think about it. Like, even if you remove, like, you don't do Angels We Have Heard on High, or you don't do mm-hmm. Joy to the World, or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, even if you pull out Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas, right? Which mm-hmm. most people are going to go, no thank you anymore. Yep. Okay. Uh, what element, like, what about those songs stand out? Like, to me, it, it's it's just that, it's it's that feeling, but it, it goes even deeper than that, Right. Like, like to me, it's because at the heart of it, you are, are celebrating something that is bigger yeah. than any of us and yeah. more real than any of us. And to me, I bring it back to that it's about our creator. It's that capital C. Yeah. It's in Christ. Christmas. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Off the cuff. Um, let's see. Let's see. Favorite. Um, I'll do a couple favorites here. Okay. Favorite from Pastor Josh. All right. So this is this. I didn't even know I was going to do this. This is cool. Um, because you're talking about Christmas songs. So favorite. Let's just say that favorite Christmas song. My favorite Christmas song. Yes. The one the kids laugh at every time we go on there. You're going to laugh at this, man. I remember Felice Navidad. <laughs> Felice Navidad. Yep. That was always one. I was like, man, I love that song. You know. Uh, but the truth is, White Christmas, Bing White Crosby, Christmas. that's yep. my jam. Right on. Mm-hmm. White Christmas. The, um, somebody asked me that the other day. I kind of got that low voice going right now. I'm dreaming. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> the, um, so we play them at the office. It's, it, seriously, since Halloween, I found it on Sirius. It's been rocking in the Jeep. I hadn't turned it off. Okay. Um, the Christmas music, that's how much I like it. Um, I love the... Um, I love Little Saint Nick by the Beach Boys. I love that rendition of that 
of that track. It's cool. Okay. It, it's very unique. Nice. Um, and uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, honestly, there's every once in a while somebody released something new, a new, and it's really good. Like, and Kelly Clarkson had a couple of tracks that were phenomenal, um, great Christmas songs and stuff like that. I do, yeah. I love. Um, holy cow! Oh, um, oh goodness! I had it just a second ago. But the Beach Boys always, the Beach Boys to me always um, sticks out. Obviously, the little Jackson Five. Uh, Michael Jackson, <laughs> I saw Mama Kiss and Santa yeah. Claus. Love that one. <laughs> That's good. So yeah, so you're you're more. I should have stuck with the Feliz Navidad's of the world. Feliz, that was what reminded me because like yes. um, I asked. Um, I never forget when we Ethan we were driving home from a cousin's house and all that stuff, listening to the stuff and and that you ever you ever hear the one Dominic the Christmas Donkey? I have. But <laughs> I, it, it, I, the tune doesn't. <laughs> Stick out right now, but I've heard it before. Yeah, it's um. Well, it it, it shouldn't. Don't go listen to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> nobody. I don't know. But if you hear it, you'll think of me. Uh-huh. I know because it's hysterical. Yeah. Um. It's absolutely. Um. It's absolutely funny. There's a really good eight bit Christmas. Is the new Christmas movie out this year? That's really really good. It's set in the eighties around the Nintendo. Oh, nice. 1987. Yes. So, what are your top three Christmas movies? Um. Top three Christmas movies would be number one is Home Alone. Okay. The the original one, and the, I say it's number one. I'm just gonna give you my three in no particular order. It depends on what day you ask okay. me. Okay. Love Home Alone. Um, I love. All right, I'll get. Everybody's gonna tune out after I say this. I love Ernest Saves Christmas. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I do, and um, and I love. Um, I still love um, Christmas Vacation. What's funny, dude, is. As you're saying that, and I see the Nick Hyder with the the the, the yeah. wisdom look behind you on the screen, and then I said Ernest. Ernest That's right, Christmas. I know. <laughs> and you're and you're glancing and be like, say something. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. I'm gonna I'm be with you on Home Alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna say a Christmas story. Yep. Because I grew up kind of near where that took place. Mm-hmm. Uh. Not where they filmed it, but where it's supposed to have taken place. Okay. And oh, man, the third one's tough. But I'm gonna go with uh, Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. So it's such an honestly, it's such an important question. We should have had time to think about this. Yes, this is a big deal. It really is. I, I saw an interesting thing the other day. It said, "You realize like John Hughes has ri- written like the essential holiday movies: uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles yep. for Thanksgiving, Home Alone, Christmas Vacation, and I know I'm missing. Oh, absolutely, I'm, I'm missing another one. The at-home audience can figure that one. out. That's right. Anyway. Um, and the uh, the ones with uh, that were a couple years ago that were Kirk Douglas's um, not Kirk Douglas um, oh gosh he's the he's Santa Claus um, married to Goldie not married but Goldie Hawn's partner I cannot believe I'm drawing a blank oh Kurt Russell Kurt Russell the Christmas Chronicles yes yes those are great okay those are really I've seen really the first good one. they're like a rendition on the Santa Claus there you go like you know, which is a great one as well yeah and I just now might have been in my top should have been not maybe should have been in my top three. Probably replacing the earnest one, but rest in peace, Jim Barney. Yeah. Well, yeah, Christmas this year, you know, at New Hope, we uh, we were redoing the stage, and, and uh, we bought, like, my wife bought, like, seven or eight poinsettias and some big ones. And we're like, we need more poinsettias. <laughs> and then we went to the store, and they were all, like, sold out. They only had the little ones. So then we like, how many should we get? So then we started with, like, ten. And then we had 20, and then there was 30. I think there's, like, 40. Yes, all of them. <laughs> We're like, get more. So, all yeah, the we decorated the stage in poinsettias. It is beautiful. Um, it is absolutely beautiful. So a couple things to talk about the church real quick. We got to make sure um, 
because you guys are doing some awesome things. And a lot of this stuff, um, all all the services and stuff are are streamed online. The production's second to none. I think that's probably the what you were talking about. The biggest thing that people are surprised with when they see it in person is it's it's big big production. Yeah, we're we're not a, a mega church, and uh, you know. I, People ask me all the time, like, how many people go to the church post COVID? Like, we're in the COVID stuff, post COVID. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, whatever. I, yeah. I honestly have no, no idea. It's like herding cats trying to figure out what the number is. Um, I'll go with 300, 350 as far as like total people. Uh, but f- five years ago, six years ago, the uh, we're an elder led church, and I sat down with the elders and just said, hey, what uh, the direction we need to do is there's going to be a time when people are going to be. Uh, participating in church services and, and doing things online. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we're going all online, but we have to be prepared for that. And we can we can be a church, even though we're not having all the money in the world and all those kind of things. If we are smart, we can start putting these things in place now. And we did. So we hired somebody whose gifts are in that area. We, hi- we had another uh, guy who did youth ministry for us who had a background in audio and studio and production and all those things. So we just started, instead of hiring uh, church staff people to just isolate and focus on one area, we started hiring people who had multi-talents across the board. Yep. And Brilliant. so so they uh, uh, put things in place. So guys, uh, one guy named Pete Wells, who did our youth ministry, Austin Duncan, who communications and video and stuff, those guys were, were great, put together these awesome state-of-the-art stuff to where you know, we we as a church are fully capable of doing any kind of production we need to do. Yes. Um, and so we launched it, we started building it, and actually launched it the week that COVID shut everything down in March of 2020. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. So um, for um, all of our locals here and the surrounding areas, New Hope is in Brentwood. It's on, uh, it's on uh, Wilson Pike. Yeah. Right next to, really close to Concord Road, right off the interstate. It's an unbelievable location. Right. Right off the interstate between Old Hickory Boulevard and Concord Road. That's it. Unbelievable location. Um, beautiful, um, beautiful facilities, more beautiful people, amazing mm-hmm. people. And, um, but we, I'm, I'm, I'm still blown away by the audience that we have in other territories, other countries, even on the other side of the world and stuff. So, um, speaking directly to those folks, yeah, they can they can hang with this too. They can watch and be participating in everything that we do. It, yeah, the website's newhopechurchtn.org. If you went to the App Store uh, in for Apple or whatever Android as well, I think if you put in if you put in New Hope Community Church Brentwood, mm-hmm. uh, we come up and our our symbol that would come up is a it's a circle with a little arrow inside of it, arrow arrow up. Uh, and so, yeah, mm. you, you can participate in all those things that, uh, that we're doing. That's fantastic. So, mm-hmm. um, newhopechurchtn.org. Um, and, um, also we got to mention this createhopestudios.com, yeah. especially. So, um, definitely the people here in Nashville and the surrounding areas need to know about that. Right. Yeah. But, uh, I would encourage, um, everybody else to to check out what they're doing online, especially even if it's just to look for inspiration. Yeah. Um, well, first off, Create Hope Studios is really not something that needs to be like, hey, only New Hope can do this. Like, there my, it is. My heart is that every church would do this. And the the when I say my heart, the heart of Create Hope Studios is this: is that there for so long has been a mindset that our kids 
uh, are the, the church of the future, that mm-hmm. one day they'll grow up and then we can utilize them. And for, for me, um, it became, why wait till they grow up? Why not, if they have a gift, why do we not like water that gift, right? Mm-hmm. And if, they, if mm-hmm. it's in creative arts or if it's in production or if it's in whatever, okay, um, why can't their greatest memories and the place that encouraged them the most be the church? So, mm. so, oh. so that they walk in on a Sunday morning and they just don't go, oh, all right, well, I'm just going to take this in like I'm a, a, like I'm a, a couch potato. Like I have something I can do. Yeah. So, um, so anybody who's listening, if they go to newhopechurchtn.org and they look at our worship services and they see our online stuff, we have a, it's not three camera. There's three camera sets. Uh, I think we're up to four or five cameras at this point. They're stage cameras, but we have a behind-the-scenes video production manager, behind-the-scenes audio production manager, so they're live mixing and switching incredible. cameras. And the people who are manning those cameras. And on certain weeks, we've had times where it's our, our high school ministry who's doing it. Uh, we don't have the middle schoolers doing it just yet, just because that's a little too young. Like, they get a little, <laughs> they sure. get a little too crazy. But well, we, quality control. You guys are making sure the people at home. Right. But they see the others doing it, and they they have an eye towards the time when they'll be able to do it. We have our worship band who will come off, we'll set them up, and they'll be giving music lessons to... If there's drumming lessons, there's guitar lessons, whatever, so that the kids are getting taught that. Uh, there's art classes that take place. We exhibit those art things on display. We'll have different... Uh, uh, exhibitions or things like that mm-hmm. if they want to learn production they can we have a children's christmas program that's happening this sunday december 12th i shouldn't say this sunday because this is going to air down the road so looking back yes. looking back it will have happened on december 12th this is going to air on the 21st okay i believe we have scheduled so they can go back and, um, and you can watch the christmas program that's right that our kids wrote from create hope studios that's right and that mo- the woman i mentioned earlier martha bolton um, she is the one who, who walked them through and, uh, the Bob Hope's writer and all that. She, she, uh, led them in the process of writing the play. Incredible. So, I mean, how many kids can say, not only did I learn how to do this, but I worked with someone who is literally at the top of the profession. Absolutely. So that is, um, they can go back and check that out online mm-hmm. because it will have already happened. That's right. They can get in their time machine. Mm-hmm. And go check that out. All right, excellent. Um, and uh, it's so cool that you have so you know in the eighties, nineties, early two thousands, every church they might have had, they probably had a softball team, you know, <laughs> yes, okay. stuff like that. Why? I don't, I don't know where you're going with this. Why not this stuff though? Yes, right, right. Why not this? You know what I'm saying? Because not everybody will. There's well, you can only put nine, ten softball players on the field at a time. So I'll tell you the line that like. Punch me in the face with this one. So it, it was like a, a conference I was at in 2014, a pastor named Willie George. It's a church out in uh, Oklahoma called Church on the Move, huge church, who is on like the front end of creative stuff. They're, they're amazing. When Willie George was the pastor, because he's since retired, he said, somebody asked me, how come all of my staff, not all, but most of my staff is made up of kids who grew up in the church? And he said, it's because when my kids were young, um, I put them in involved in stuff. Right. And when they're friends, man, he goes, we had the, the kids would come to our house and the, and if we had something going on at the church, I would plug them in and they were involved. So they knew that the church was happening 
and they had a vested interest. Yeah. They, they knew they were needed. Okay, we weren't waiting for them to grow up. Because as a result, now they're here, and some of them are pastors, some of them are working behind the scenes. And he said, I've had pastors ask me all the time, how did you, how, how do I do it? Like, how do you, and he goes, and their kids are grown. Yeah. He goes, I, he goes, I don't have the heart to tell them you missed your window. Right. Uh, well, I'm still in that window. And I had an extra kid just to make sure I would be in that window <laughs> for another 10, 10 years. But, but that's, that's it. You know, like I, I, I care about my kids' friends, um, care about their futures. I want to like, how do I, how can I help connect them with what maybe God has gifted them to do? Yeah. Uh, and if this church can be a part of that, uh, man, I, I just wish, and I loved my church growing up, but, I, but this stuff was not available then. Right. Agreed. And I, I wish that, uh, Maybe I would have had a clearer path earlier in life. So well, it's 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 uh it's profound in the way that we were talking about this earlier. Um, a lot of people will reach out to me for um, leadership or business help and and things like that. And the first question I always ask is, is you know, did you ask your pastor? Like, did you go there first? Mm-hmm. Um, just just to see because that's who I went to first. Yeah, you know, and um. But what you guys are doing is a lot of those programs are what parents are paying or sending their kids to somewhere else, and you're able to give that to them and, and be in the church at the same time, which is the, the perfect storm. It's the great, it's, it's all right. both things. So it's, that's what's profound about it and brilliant. Right. And, and we love it. And, and I, I will say uh, it takes patience. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, mistakes do happen. Um, but <laughs> go back to the sports world. You can't replace live reps, man. That's like, right. Like when you go live, like even you know your music background and things too. Like they're like even when you have a group of guys to get together, a group of girls, guys, girls, whatever, a band, and when the song starts, everyone's got to play their part. Yep. Right. And 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 the song ain't gonna stop. Like nope. everyone's going. Okay. Like that's the best teaching tool. So yes. like when we're when we're teaching these kids like production and things like that, you know they go into it and they're nervous. Like one of my sons when. When he first did the the audio production, this is live mixing, mm-hmm. something that you know is going out on YouTube, Facebook, an app, a website, and all those things. And comments are in real time going, "I can't hear it. I can't do this. I can't do." Th-. Like there's a fear part of that. Well, what if I mess it up? Is like then you fix it. Yeah, that's right. Right. That's right. We um when when people get when you get nervous about doing something in the performance world. The same thing we told our kid, which was, I, I, I called my son selfish when he said he was nervous. <laughs> right. And I was like, well, who are you singing for buddy? Mm-hmm. He was like, I'm singing for them. I was like, then why are you making it about you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and that's, I guess that's where the old phrase of you just envision everybody with their clothes off when you're standing up there. And I guess that's kind of does the same thing or whatever, right. you know? Right. Um, so you don't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes all what you're talking about. All these things go back to in the very beginning of this, when you talk about opportunity. Yeah. You got to give people opportunities, man. That's right. And, and even if you give an opportunity and they do it and they go, yeah, that's not for me. Well, then you did it. And they know. So now you know. That's right. But if you never did, mm. you know, so I, I go back, you know, you talk about, this just popped in my head. When I was in youth, in youth group, so when I was like 12 years old, I had a youth pastor who goes, hey, next Sunday, you're going to do the lesson on the Beatitudes in Matthew. And I was like, what? Yeah, you're going to do the lesson. So 
I was like, what are you? T-? So I did. I wrote up this thing. It was. It might have been, and could still be the worst lesson ever done <laughs> on the beatitude, right? <laughs> but there's a part of me that looks back at maybe this is where this all came from. I'm having an epiphany right now that um, when I got that call to be a youth minister, I, well, I wrote a lesson before. I did that when I was 12 years old. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was terrible, but maybe I'm better now. Somebody gave me an opportunity. Absolutely. So, That's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful thing, man. Um, folks, so Josh, I have all of the uh, CreeHopeStudios.com, New Hope Church, org is the website. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for the church. Yeah, New Hope Church, Brentwood. New Hope Church, Brentwood. And then uh, obviously, you know, um, some stuff that you... Um, book stuff, things that they need to know that you got going on. What are your... Uh, how can they keep up with you on your on your social stuff? Uh the social stuff right now, you know, I mean, they can look up Josh Heisman and things like that. I don't, I don't post too many things. I'm currently writing a book. We did a series on Revelation, and I'm writing a book called Seven, which mm. is about the seven churches. That was cool. I learned the, so much during that in the beginning. Yeah. So I'm, I'm turning that into it'll most likely be an ebook because it's my first venture into that. Uh, and I'm also going to be writing a couple down the road, one on Hezekiah that's going to be about prayer. That uh, most likely the working title will be Letters at the Altar, Ooh. and then. Uh, and then I'm also looking at what we've kind of been talking about when you wrote down earlier that we should talk about mistakes and things mm-hmm. of that nature and how do you work past those things and how do you approach it. Yeah. Um, that's going to be in a, a yet-to-be-titled book. So, so my, my goal is, you know, there's a pastor named Mark Batterson who has this goal of writing one book a year. That's a that's a bit a bit extreme for me, but, but I definitely have a goal of uh, starting to knock them out. You act like One you got to give like fifty sermons a year or something, man. Uh, it's not fifty. Uh, maybe I'll cut it down to five, and and we'll have some. No, there, you kidding. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, then, and and you know, folks, people that want to be public speakers and and stuff like that. I mean, seriously, there's amazing people that are doing it every single Sunday, and that's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do. Like the, some of these comedians and stuff, they're working on one special. Yeah, that's that's an hour long, and and you guys are giving. Um, 20, 30 minutes or longer yeah. every single every single week. Well, what, that that goes back to when I was talking about writing a book. One of the, one of the things I, I realized is I would say, man, I can't I can't write a book. And then I, I, I step back from a minute and I go, every week when I write down the notes and that put together, it's about ten pages of notes for one message. That's mm. one chapter a week that I write for a book. Right. So when I said I can't do that, when I'm already clearly doing it. Yeah. It showed me right away. Okay, this is this is a you thing. You just need to get out of your own way. That's right. Oh, yes, sir. All right. So, um, I'm excited about the uh, the stuff this Sunday. Everybody's going to go back and watch it after the 21st. That's right. Um, once you're, you're excited drops, about December 12th, dude. Go back and we'll watch it. I love again. If it's it's Christmas, man. So I'm all I'm all about it. And um, dude, this was. I mean, we could honestly keep keep going and going and going and going and going. Um, I know you got a million things to do. Um, I can't thank you enough for hanging with me today, man. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, been fun. I hope somebody got something out of this. A hundred. I did. Yeah, I did. Good. So I'm a hundred percent. Somebody did. Um, couple things to, to part with folks. Um, everybody's a leader. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a leader. Embrace the role. Um, you know, that you hear fail forward, you don't win or, or lose, you win or you learn, you hear all those things. That's, as a leader, get out there and make those mistakes, seek the knowledge on how to correct them, but most importantly, pay attention to how you handle 
those mistakes. Dude, that was a freaking nuke of a bomb that we dropped on them today. Good. Um, apps fan, fantastic. Um, and, uh, and anything else for the folks before we, before we bring this one to a close, I would just tell people out there, if you're listening right now and you, uh, have people in your life who you care about, I would say, don't waste another moment. Let them know how much you love them and encourage them. And there's somebody right now in your circle who you need to reach out to and tell them that you believe in them Mm. and they need to hear it because it's, it's, it's the thing that's holding them back. And I know how much that has meant to me through the years when people just opened their mouth and gave me some encouragement that made all the difference. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Dude, that was awesome. Can't thank you enough, man. Um, Folks, thanks so much for uh, tuning in to another episode of The Hit Streak. Um, Once again, I'm your man, Nick Heider. Thank you to my amazing friend, my amazing guest, Josh Heisman of uh, the New Hope Community Church here in Brentwood, Tennessee. And um, as I always say, God bless you guys and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, folks. Have a great holiday season.